John chapter 17, where we left off quite a few weeks back. We did a, a little detour into the Lord's Prayer, or what we call the Lord's Prayer, uh, which was actually the disciples' prayer. But John chapter 17, we really find the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus' prayer. This is Him, he, who is the Lord. Uh, by the way, happy birthday, Reese. Uh, yesterday, I think he's like 25 now, or... <laughs> Something like that. And he's not that old. Just makes me feel old again. John chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer. And, and really, it's like if you could just sit and listen and sit with Jesus and listen to him pray. That's what these disciples were had, had the privilege of doing. And, and uh, many commentators have called it the Holy of Holies of uh, the Gospel of John, or even of this uh, stretch of, of chapters here. And uh, Pastor Chuck said, you know, maybe we should take our shoes off. So why don't we all take our shoes off? No, just kidding. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> the truth of the matter is this is like Jesus' longest recorded prayer. And it's long. He, he covers a lot of different things, but there's just something about the heart of it. There's something about the, uh, you know... Uh, the heart of Jesus that we see in this passage. So let's, let's read verses 1 through 5 uh, first. He says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. And he said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. There's an incredible relationship here between Jesus and the Father. I mean, it just comes out and, you know, he, he ends there with, you know, with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's, you know, kind of reestablish basically him going back to where he was before he came to the earth. But after Jesus said this, it says in verse 1, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. And, and after he said what? He said a lot of things, but the very last thing he said this was that in him, verse 33, chapter 16, he said, in me you may have peace, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart or be courageous. I have overcome the world. He said those things directly to his disciples, and after he'd said those things, you know, you, you're, you're going to have peace, but it's going to be found in Jesus. This world, you're not going to find peace in this world, he says, but he has overcome the world, and we can find peace in him. And that, that is just as true today as it was the day that he said those words, that we're not going to find peace in the world. In fact, uh, the more you study and look at the world, the more it can take away your peace, especially in these days that we're in. And I think we're in the last days, and, and things are happening. And if you look and focus on those events... You can start to take your peace away, but when you focus on Jesus, the fact that he's got a plan and a purpose and his, his will will be done, he has authority over all, 
That's where the peace is, you see. So be courageous. After he said all those things, though, he looked toward heaven. He, he says, I'm going to pray. He looks toward heaven and he prays. And if Jesus needs to pray, well, you know, what does that say about us? I think it's interesting, though, and I'm, I don't want to make a too big of a deal about this, but it says he looked toward heaven and prayed. Now, usually when we pray, what do we do? We close our eyes, we you know, look down kind of thing, and we pray. And, and that's not bad, that's not wrong. I think the reason we close our eyes is because we don't want to be distracted by everybody else around us. But Jesus, he looked toward heaven. What a picture that is, isn't he? He looks toward heaven. And, and when you and I pray, is there any better example than that to look toward heaven? That's, that's where the answers are. It's not looking around, it's not looking within us, it's not looking back or forward, it's looking up towards heaven. When Jesus was at, you know, the, the tomb of Lazarus, and he told them, take away the stone, they said, no, we can't. He said, take away the stone. It says they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He's got this relationship, he's got this, his eyes are on heaven. And, and you know what, that saying that says, you know, you're, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, I, you know, that's ridiculous. I don't think there's a person here that is so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. The truth of the matter is, for most of the time, we're so earthly minded we're no heavenly good. Jesus had his eyes on heaven all the time. He was talking to his Father all the time. He didn't always pray in front of his disciples, and, and oftentimes he would withdraw by himself, right? He would go up into the hills and pray, and so sometimes he'd pray all night. But he prayed. Psalm 123 says, I lift up my eyes to you. He's speaking to the Lord. To you whose throne is in heaven. I lift up my eyes to you. You know, it's, it's not bad to close, to open your eyes and pray, but I think it's the attitude of, of the fact that we're looking towards heaven. So Jesus is praying here, and, and, and uh, one more thing I want to mention about, about Jesus praying and, and the, the radical nature of it is that when Jesus went up onto what they call the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, what I'm talking about. It says that he went up there, he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he went up there. It says they went up onto a mountain to pray. That's what they went up there to do. And it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Think about that for a second. Jesus, it says, as he was praying, his countenance, his face changed. And, and he, and, and he just, it just, things got bright. Now, of course, we, we know that in that particular instance, Jesus, you know, he was transfigured into the glory of who he really was, the, the God of glory. And, and the glory of Jesus came out, and, and those who were with him, they saw it, they were like blown away. But, but I see in this an example for you and I that when we pray, it changes us. His face was changed. The appearance of his face was changed. You know, sometimes we are, you know, like I said, no earthly 
no heavenly good because we're so earthly-minded. We're, we're thinking about everything around us. We're not praying at all, and we wonder why we look so glum. But, but if we prayed like Jesus prayed, it's going to change the way we look. It's going to change our count. It's going to change everything about us, brighten up our day. So we haven't even got to the prayer part yet. But it says, he, he starts to pray and he says, Father. He says, Father, the, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He, he, the first thing he prays about is what? The cross. The first thing that comes to his mind as he, he tells them, you know, you're going to have trouble in the world, but have peace in me. I've overcome the world. And the first thing in his prayer is that the time has now come. Now, up to this point, he'd been telling his disciples way back in, 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 in the chapter uh, 2, where at the, the wedding at Cana, right? Uh, he said, you know, the time has not come for me yet. And, and all along he's been saying the time hasn't come, the time hasn't come. But now he's saying the time is here. The time for what? The time for the cross, the time for the resurrection and the exaltation to the right hand of the Father. It's time. When you think about this, though, he's saying that there's glory in it. He's saying, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. There's glory for the son. There's glory for the father. In what? In the cross itself. We think the cross is it's such a, a horrible thing, and it, and it was horrible. But isn't that what God does? He turns things around and changes things, and he brings glory out of what is actually horrible. And that's what he did here. He says there's glory in the cross. It brings glory to the Son. It brings glory to the Father. And they were so connected. We see that in this prayer as well. This relationship that the Father and the Son had. The, the, the connection, the fellowship, the koinonia between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was incredible. But Paul said this in Galatians. He said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the glory is. Not in what we have done, but all in what he has done. He goes on, he says, For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Jesus has the authority, you see. It's been given to him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, he said in, in Matthew chapter 28. But he says here that he was going to give eternal life to who? To all those that you have given him. All those that the Father had given to him. So, so we have to stop and ask the question, well, who has he given to the Son? How do you know? You know, we could get into a lot of the, the theological debates about election and, and all these things, but I think he gives us some of the answers here. We look ahead to verse 6. In verses 6 through 80, he gives us some of the answers. He says, I have revealed you or your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your, obeyed your word. How do you know if you're one of his? How do you know if you're one of the ones that have been given from the Father to the Son? Well, here he says that, that Jesus has revealed the Father. 
that they belong to him. And, and notice his, this here in the end of verse 6, he says, they have obeyed your word. There's something about a life who, who's living in obedience to the word of God. You want to know if you're one of his? Do you have a heart? We sang it in that song. Do you have a heart to obey? That doesn't mean we're perfect, but, but he says they obeyed your word. Look what he says in verse 7. Now, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. There's, there's a sense, there's a knowing in our hearts that, that everything that the Jesus has, it came from the Father. Everything that Jesus is doing is part of the plan of God the Father. You see, how do you know you're one of his? You know where it all comes from. Verse 8, he says, For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. There's a whole lot in that verse about, about those that the Father gave to the Son. He says, I gave them the word you gave me, and they accepted them. Do you accept the word of God, the word of Jesus? Have you, do you have a relationship with, with the scripture that he's given to us? This is a, a reality, you know, someone who has no, you know, no relationship, no a time in the word, no opening up the word of God, th there's a good chance that you don't belong to him. Because there, there is for those that belong to him, there's this thirst, there's this hunger for what God has said and, and for his word. Notice he says there, I gave them your words and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. Do you know where Jesus came from? And then he says, they believed that you sent me. They believe there's this idea of faith. You see, a person who is truly born again, this, this, is, this is a description and, and so as Pastor Chuck says, and I love this, he, he has a way of simplifying things. He says, you know what, do you want to know if you're one of his? Well, accept the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in him, and you will know, you will find out. See, that's, we, we try to understand it all, try to figure out how do these things work, the, work the responsibility of man, the, the, you know, the sovereignty of God. Well, for us, the Bible says, to all who received him, to, them, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power to become children of God. So you and I, we're, we are faced with a decision. Do we accept Jesus Christ and everything he says? Have we, have we received him as Lord and Savior? That is where it begins. That's, that's the, the choice that you and I have to make. And believe me, we are given a choice. So Jesus is saying the, all these words. Simon Peter, we saw this back in chapter 6. It says in chapter 6, in verse 66, get that right? 666, it says that, uh, you know, Jesus said some, some challenging words to them, and you can read the whole chapter, but he, it says that many turned back and didn't follow him anymore. And Jesus said, what about you? What about you? And what, what was Peter's answers? This is what he, Peter said. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This ties in exactly with what we're reading here. He says, you have the words of eternal life. 
He says he's giving eternal life to those that the Father has given. He's giving this life eternal. Go back now to verse 3. He gives us some definition. And this is kind of where I want to focus. This is kind of the heart of this passage, I believe. He says in verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I think this is the heart of the passage. This is what eternal life is all about. He says this is what life is, and it's real life, it's genuine life, it's true life. A life that's eternal, a life that that never ends, a life that never ceases. This is, he says, this is what eternal life is. This is what real life is. So when he says something like that, I think we need to stop and say, well, what is it? I thought it was just going to heaven. Isn't that what eternal life is? It's It's just a ticket to heaven. That's all it is. No, no, no. It's way, way more than that. What does he, how does he define it here? He says, it's knowing the Father and the Son. It's having a relationship. It's having a knowledge of Him. Knowing Him. It's not religion. We, we talk about this and because it is so true. And I think this is one of the key verses to, to uh, back up this claim that it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about having a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, where we we have this relationship, we're getting to know one another. Now, Now, does He have to get to know us? No, He already knows us you know, backwards and forwards, inside and out. But, but it's not so true the other side, is it? You and I, we need to get to know Him. We sang about it, I want to know you more. I want to get to know you more. But notice he says, when does this begin? Now. 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 This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's not some future event. We're going to get to know God when we get there. Yeah, we don't know it perfectly here. But we do know him, and we can get to know him better and better. In fact, the Greek word here is ginosko. How many of you have heard that word before? Ginosko. It's a, it, they're, they're basically two Greek words for know. One of them is ginosko, one of, the other one is, is uh, eido, E-I-D-O. And, and basically, uh, ginosko means to get to know by experience. The other one is like looking at the facts and maybe like more like of a head knowledge and what, seeing it for what it is. But this is more of a growing, deepening, learning knowledge. And that's what you and I, this is the path that you and I are on. Do you know him? Are you getting to know him better? That's the question that, that is real for you and I. Paul said it in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in the middle of the love chapter of all places, and I, and I think this relationship is a love relationship, no question about it, but he said, now we see as through a glass darkly, but then we'll see what? Face to face. In other words, we, it's not perfect now. We don't have it perfect, but, but we do see. 
We do have this relationship. Paul the Apostle uh, wrote these words in Philippians. He said this, I consider everything a loss. Everything. Not just some things. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That, that was the most important thing in all the world for the Apostle Paul, this guy who was an incredible man, incredible man used greatly by God. But the most important thing to him was getting to know Jesus Christ more and more. Look what he says. I, I consider them rubbish, trash, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith. In Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He says it again, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Not only the power of his resurrection, but the, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Later, a few verses later in that chapter of Philippians, Paul says, you know what, I haven't, I haven't arrived. He says, I haven't gotten there. And he'd, he'd been a believer for many, many, many years. I haven't arrived. I haven't got there. But, but he says, but I, I press on and I, and I reach forward and I, and I keep striving for that goal, the prize and, 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 and this growing knowledge of Jesus. One day I'll be with him, but, but I can know him now and I want to know him more. See, that's a, heart, that's a heart after Him. Again, the question is for you and for me, do we know Him? Are we getting to know Him better? You know, it's not just a mystical question. This is, a, this is what Jesus said, the definition, now this is eternal life that they may know you. This is eternal life. If we are born again, if we truly have Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives, this is a part of, of what it is. It's knowing Him. How do you get to know somebody? How did you get to know your husband or your wife, your best friend? You spent time with them, right? How do, how do, how do relationships break down by not communicating by not spending any time there's a guy who his name was Jim Elliot how many of you heard of Jim Elliot he was a missionary and he and he 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 was down in the, in in the jungles of, of South America and and you know him and and some other missionaries were trying to reach this tribe and and they they were martyred for their faith but Jim Elliot, he, he said a lot of different things, but one of the things he said is this. He said, oh, the fullness, the pleasure, and the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. Is that incredible? You know, yeah, it's a terrible thing that he was martyred for, for serving the Lord, but, but it only made it even better. But this was the heart of this man. He would do anything to know Jesus there's another, there was another man uh, who, whose name was Brother Lawrence. How many of you have heard of Brother Lawrence? 
He wrote a book book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he was a simple friar, a monk, basically. And and, and, and he, you know, he just washed dishes. He was in the kitchen. He just, but but he had this thing about the the fact of knowing that, that he was with the Lord and that the Lord was with him. But look what he says. He said, let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. And we will learn to love him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy. That's powerful, isn't it? To get to know him. Do you know him? Back in verse 4 and 5, it says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Jesus was going to complete the work. In fact, he says it on the cross, doesn't he? He says it's finished. He, he had done it in John chapter 19, verse 30. And, but he speaks here, as I mentioned earlier, that he was going to be restored to actually being in the presence of God and the glory that he had before the world ever began. But there's something about this. He had this relationship with God on earth, but he also had a relationship that he would continue with him in heaven. And it's, that's very true with us. You and I have a relationship with him here on earth, and we are going to be with him one day. In these first five verses, he gives all the glory to God, all the glory that is there. It's found in the cross and the resurrection, the exaltation. But his heart in the middle of all of that is that, that we would know him. That we would know him. A couple more passages before we close. Uh, uh, let's see here. It looks like I missed one. There it is. Let's start with this one. I brought you, uh, sorry, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. This is Jeremiah. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Let's not boast about all the things that we've done and how smart we are, how much money we have, what a nice car we have, what a nice house we have, you know, how good we can play an instrument, how wonderful our voices. We're going to glory or boast about anything. Let's glory and boast in this that we understand and we know God. That's the only thing that matters in the end. John said it later in 1 John. He said, we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us an understanding. He's given it to us that we may know him who is true. That we may know him who is true. That's what gets us into heaven, people, isn't it? Jesus speaking in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, he says, you know, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, it's, it's about this relationship that we have with him. So, again, this question do we know about God or do we know Him? Not perfectly. Do we, do we have some kind of religion where, you know, we, we just do the things, the religious things? Or do we have a relationship with Him that, that is personal? That's not just something somebody made up. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? This is real. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father? An ongoing, continuing, deepening, growing relationship. That's really what it's all about. I want to play a, a, a video for you before we close in prayer. Can you, get, can you go ahead and play that? This is called, That's My King. Do you know him? How many of you have seen this before? That's my king. Do you know him? Let's play that. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's in journalist form. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially much. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the thief. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you. But he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mouth. 
You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. And Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. <laughs> I think we got a little ways to go to learn about him, don't you? That's the God that we want to get to know, our Savior Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Oh, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us and, and the revealing of your word and the revealing of your Son, Lord, and, and uh, that we can follow you, we can get to know you as we pray, as we seek your face, as we open your word, as we listen to the words of Jesus. Father, help us, Lord. We are, we are frail. We're weak. And the spirit is will, willing, but the flesh is weak. And, and so often we, we, we're tired. We don't want to spend the time getting to know you more and better. And, and yet our hearts are dry and lonely and searching for you. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to, to overcome our flesh as you overcame the world. Father, that we would get to know you better and better. I pray for each person in this room, each person listening, that their, that their walk with you, their life with you, their relationship with you would, would, would grow deeper and, and more uh, enriched. Holy Spirit, that you'd work helping us, helping us to grow deeper in our life and our walk and our love for you. I pray, Lord, for any that, that don't know you at all here today. Maybe they're just in religion. They need relationship. Any that might be listening, that, that you can open your heart to him and, and ask him in for a, a personal and a very real relationship. And simply humble yourself and say, I... I need help. I, I, I want you. Come into my life, my heart today. I want that eternal life. I want that relationship with you today. That life, that real life, the life that never ends. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's stand and sing together, shall we?